You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you stories that remind us who God is and who we are in Him. The Collected Podcast is a production of Collected Ministries. Follow Collected on social media at Collected Podcast. And be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and additional content related to today's episode. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 19 of The Collected Podcast. I'm your host, Jess Biondo, and this week it is just me. Um, I'm doing a solo episode. I feel like God has given me a message that I wanted to share, and I'm really excited about it. I've had it in the back of my mind for a while, yet this week when I finally sat down to like get all the thoughts out on a document and kind of organize it and dig in deeper, I was just blown away by some things that the Lord showed me surrounding this message. So I'm really excited to share it with you today. Um, But before I get into the message, I wanted to give a little life update and announce our new sponsor of The Collected Podcast, uh, which is really exciting. We haven't had a sponsor in literally years, and I'm not going to flood this podcast with ads. We have very generous donors and supporters um, who allow us to keep the lights on and pay for things we need, Um, but another little revenue stream can't hurt. And so um, I want to talk a little bit about our sponsor, and then we'll dive into the message. So um, the new sponsor for the show is Beauty Counter, and I recently became a brand advocate for them um, because... I believe in clean beauty. Um, I have had a lot of health struggles relating to autoimmune diseases, um, issues, sort of diagnosed, sort of, it's all a gray area. Um, And my symptoms and flare-ups look different from year to year, and you kind of never know when one's going to flare up. And so for about the past 12 years, I've tried to be very proactive in what I eat, trying different things with my diet to regulate inflammation or to, (laughs) I don't know, just try and figure out what is going on in my body. And so another thing that I've really focused on is trying to use clean products and keep any extra toxins and chemicals out of my body because I noticed that those had a really negative effect on me. Um, So when I discovered Beauty Counter like eight months ago, I don't know, I started using them in November and I slowly have transitioned my products. Once I use one thing up, I've replaced it with a Beauty Counter product. And not only do I feel better than I ever have, um, but I feel like my skin looks clearer and more vibrant than it has in a decade. Uh, So that's really exciting, you know, just to be a little vain, but, but honest with you here on The Collected Podcast. And so when there was this promotion to be a brand advocate, I figured, you know what, why not? I could use the discount on the products, and maybe someone out there will want to give it a try too. Um, So, of course, there's no pressure to buy, but if you want to hear more, um, you know, DM me. And um, any sales using the link in our show notes, uh, 10% of those profits, I will donate back to the podcast and the ministry um, to try and there's a to kind of a separate fund for some updated equipment that we want to buy and just some things to keep the lights on, and to keep the show growing. Um, I'd love to add more 
to our own marketing fund to push more ads out there so that not to you, um, but so that other people can learn about the show and start to listen and just hear what we're doing. Um, So again, the link there is in the show notes. And if you're a first time buyer, you'll get 20% off your first purchase. Um, And again, 10% of all the profits will go directly back to supporting Collected Ministries and the Collected Podcast. So there you go. There is my sponsor pitch. Thank you for listening. And now let's dive into the message today. Uh, So Mark 6 is where we're going to camp out. And my church is doing a sermon series through the book of Mark. And this message that I heard about this portion in Mark 6 really, really spoke to me. And as I dug into it more on my own, I was like, yes, this is the summer message that we need here on the show. Um, so Mark 6, 45 through 56 is where we're going to camp out. This is when Jesus walks on water after feeding the 5,000. Um, so as I followed kind of different rabbit trails in this verse, I became very excited to share it with you. We're nowhere near done with our study on all of the rich names of God from the Old Testament, but I'm excited for this quick little shift to the New Testament to learn a little bit more about the character of our Savior and Lord Jesus today. So let's start by reading this passage, Mark 6, 45 through 56. I'm going to read this whole portion, and then we'll break it down verse by verse and see what we can learn. So verse 45. Immediately after this, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, "'Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid.' Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened." When they had crossed over, they landed at Gensereg and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They run or they ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to whoever they heard, wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countrysides, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. That is the word of the Lord. So let's break this down and see what we can glean about the character of Jesus. And um, I want to start by breaking down kind of some of the other main characters. Obviously, in the story, we have Jesus as a main character. We have the disciples. We have the wind. And we have two key cities, 
Bethsaida and Genseray. And if you've been following for a while and heard my solo messages, you may have noticed this through line that I've become a little bit obsessed with geography in the Bible um, and these beautiful spiritual lessons that we can learn from geography. So even if geography is not your thing, please stick with me. I promise I will try and make it worth it for you in the end. Um, So verse 45 starts out immediately after this. So the logical question is after what? Well, Jesus had just fed 5,000 people with only five loaves of bread and two fish. It's a very famous miracle in the Bible. And the disciples had witnessed this with their own eyes. You know, we get to read about it, but they lived through it. And yet... I don't think they recognized what was happening, even though they experienced it. So many commentaries that I read tend to believe that the disciples didn't recognize that a miracle had even taken place. There's this notable absence of admiration at the end of the passage that has that feeding of the 5,000 story, which is Mark 6, 30 through 44. So the account of the story usually you know, you read these stories of the miracles and it ends with something like, and all who saw it were amazed or, you know, some recognition of what has happened. And yet that is notably absent in this account of the story. We also read in verse 52 from the passage I just read, it straight out tells us that they did not understand the loaves because their hearts were hardened. So something's going on where they're not recognizing the true power and like nature of Christ. So right from the get-go, we can read this story through the lens of, with the understanding of this idea that the disciples did not yet have an accurate view of who Jesus was and what he was coming to do. So that's going to inform why they respond the way they do and why they don't recognize Jesus as he walks toward them. So back to the passage, the disciples get in the boat. They're headed to Bethsaida without Jesus. So there's our mention of Bethsaida. Keep that location in your brain. Um, We'll come back to something significant about this place later. And a little spoiler, spoiler alert, I think it's Really, really cool. Uh, So the disciples travel on without Jesus, and Jesus goes to the mountaintop to pray. What stands out to me here is that Jesus has been ministering, performing miracles, engaging with crowds all day. He recently, I'm not sure how much time has passed, um, but shortly before this in Mark, we learn that um, Jesus learned about the execution of John the Baptist. So in this portion of the story, he must be exhausted, processing, maybe still grieving. Yet we see in his greatest time of need and weariness, he turns to prayer. And not just in this situation, but in all the accounts in the New Testament, Jesus is constantly in his time of need going to prayer. And so here's our first little lesson from Jesus in this story, uh, because I know that I find when I'm weary, wiped out, worn down, the last thing I want to do is find the energy to pray. That feels like it will take too much mental effort, or that feels even more exhausting. Yet I know from past experience that in those moments, even a simple prayer 
of, Lord, help me, or Lord, I need you, or Lord, I'm exhausted. Just stating that is the very thing that my soul needs to begin to move toward rest and refreshment. Maybe this just simple prayer of, Lord, I can't keep doing this on my own. I need you. I can't do this, but I know you can. And then it turns into praise, and then the focus shifts from being on me and my problems and my issues and my overwhelm to being on the glory and all-sufficient Savior who's got it all covered anyway. So lesson number one, even in your moments of weariness, especially in your moments of weariness, go to God in prayer. He's got it covered. He will be there for you. Um, So earlier the same day, back to the story, we read in Mark 6.31, then because so many people were coming and going and they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So even with his disciples, he's encouraging them to get away, to rest. And so we see that if you're someone who is toiling or striving and you're fearing, feeling weary by the, the hustle of life, you're always on the go, Jesus is the rest giver. He gives permission and space to lie down in green pastures. We've broken down Psalm 23 on the show. He gives rest to the weary soul for others, and we see him practicing this and walking this out for himself in this first verse of our passage. So the next part of the story is where things start to get interesting. It's about 3 a.m. I mean, prayer's interesting, of course, but let's keep moving. Um, And so it's 3 a.m. Jesus has been praying for a very long time, and he can see his disciples rowing hard against the wind and the waves. Verse 48 says that the wind was against them. And this wording really struck out to me. Have you ever felt like everything was against you? Even nature itself seems to be pushing you back. Uh, Last weekend, John and I went paddleboarding on the Catawba River here in Charlotte, and we were paddling against the current on our way out. And each stroke was a struggle. And if you stop to rest, you're going to drink water for even a second, then all the progress you had made, that we had made, was quickly destroyed as the current pulled us back toward where we had started. Um, And I feel like there's someone out there who that really resonates with right now. Is this how your life feels? Like you can't catch a break? If so, I get it. And please stick with me because I truly believe that God has some encouragement for you in this story today. So Jesus sees the disciples struggling on the boat, and Jesus walks on water with the intention of passing by the disciples. So again, we see his initial intention was not to go and meet them and get in the boat, but he was going to pass by them. This is the same term that was used in the Old Testament in Exodus when God passed by Moses on the mountain and Moses was changed. Just as God was revealing his glory to Moses, Jesus also intended to show the disciples his glory, thus leaving them changed. He's all about our hearts and about our soul change. So he wanted to leave them with this longing for and deeper understanding of the power and the presence of the Messiah. 
But the disciples didn't recognize Jesus. They thought he was a ghost. So they didn't recognize who he was and their inaccurate view of who he was, who he is, led them to sitting in a place of fear and uncertainty in the storm. The disciples saw Jesus walking on water, but they were still afraid because they expected Jesus to change their circumstances when he is actually coming to change their hearts. So what does Jesus do when he realizes that the disciples missed his glory? They missed the purpose of what he was trying to do. Does he keep walking disappointed in his hard-hearted followers? Did he give up on them when their hearts didn't immediately change? No, of course not. Jesus stopped and he stayed with them. He gets in the boat and his presence stays with them. So now the disciples are no longer enduring the wind and the waves on their own. And today you are not on the waves all alone. Jesus is with you. His presence is with you. He is in the boat, the metaphorical boat with you. And Jesus is all about the condition of our hearts. He may not stop the wind and the waves, but this story reminds us that in the midst of the storm, He is kind and He is present. He will show His glory and He will get in the boat and stay with you. Jesus's main purpose is not to change your circumstance, but to change your heart. And sometimes He will also change your circumstance. But if he doesn't, that doesn't mean he's not there with you. So when Jesus gets into the boat with the disciples, um, he did also calm the wind. So the circumstance did change. Um, and this shows his unique power and control over nature. One commentary that I read states, wind in the Bible is also positively connected with God's breath and his ultimate authority over the world. In Hebrews, the word for breath, ruha, can also mean wind. God created with his breath, we see in Genesis 2, 7. We see the play with these words in Ezekiel 37, 9, which says, Then the Lord came or said to me, Come from the four winds breath and breathe on these people who were killed so that I will so that they will live. Um, specifically, the collected image of the four winds signals the comprehensiveness of God's power. Those four winds being from the four cardinal directions, north, south, east, west. Um, we see in Jeremiah 49, it says, I'll bring the four winds from the four corners of heaven against Elam and scatter its people in every direction. Revelation 7.1 pictures the angels holding back the four winds of the earth. So all throughout the Bible, we see this wind imagery. And now in the New Testament, Jesus demonstrates control over the wind which is another example, another bit of proof of his identity as the Son of God. Um, and so if you want to dig into those verses more, I linked the commentary on the blog um, in those show notes there, so you can go directly to the source that I found that from. So the wind here is very significant to the story because it not only shows the power of the Son of God, but it also changed the direction that the disciples were heading. So here's our little bit of geography. 
So as we saw at the beginning of the story, the disciples originally set out to travel to Bethsaida, but by the end of the passage, we see that they landed in Genseray and began healing people there. So I read this passage many, many times, and it never clicked to me like, oh, wait a second. They ended up in a different place than where they thought they were going in the beginning. So here is the geography lesson I promised. I know you've been waiting with bated breath. Um, So in Luke 10, 13 through 15, we hear another mention of Bethsaida. And Jesus says, "'Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you.'" And you, Capernaum, will be exalted. Um, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. That's pretty intense. But we see here that Bethsaida is now most remembered for its stubborn lack of faith. So that is where the disciples were originally heading, and miracles had taken place there. The people in Bethsaida had had access to Jesus, had seen Jesus, and yet they still had this hard-hearted lack of faith, this stubbornness. In contrast, Genseray, as I was looking up information about this, I learned that Genseray means Garden of the Prince, Valley of Riches. It was known in the ancient Near East as the Paradise of Galilee because of its fertility and beauty. And it was in this place this unplanned for diversion that the storm directed the disciples to, that Jesus and the disciples were met with people with fertile hearts, ready and willing to accept Christ, healing, the gospel, just all these things that happened when the disciples arrived because the people's hearts were open and willing and fertile to hear this message. So here's our main takeaway. So often in life, the storms that seem to come up out of nowhere can chart us on a new path, right? We make decisions that we wouldn't have had to otherwise make, or maybe we meet people, we get opportunities that we never would have had otherwise. Even though the storm is difficult and painful, God can use it to get us in a different direction and to a new place that He has for you, a place of open-hearted healing, restoration, and miracles. And I believe that today God is trying to move someone from Bethsaida, a place of stubborn lack of faith, to Genseray, this place of fertility and beauty. And I pray that If you are in a storm, that you will allow God to use it to change your direction. And even in the storm, that you will remember that Christ will never leave you and that He offers supreme rest for your soul. So that is my little geography lesson for the day. Um, And I hope you loved this as much as I did. Maybe this one was just for me, Um, but I hope you are having a great week. And wherever you find yourself, whatever storm you may be in, look for glimpses of God's presence because He is there with you. He will never leave you. And um, yeah, 
that's it. I'll be back in two weeks with a guest again. Um, Her name is Caitlin. She is an author, and I'm so excited to dive into her story. I interview her uh, next week, and then it'll come out in two weeks. So stay tuned for that. And um, one more plug for Beauty Counter. If you want to check out those um, products and explore the website, there is a link down in our show notes and on the blog and the website and the Instagram. It'll be everywhere. Um, So feel free to reach out to me if you have questions about that. And I'd be happy to talk your ear off more about my favorite products because I I am a believer in them um, just for my skin. Uh, So I hope you're having a wonderful week and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you'd help spread the word. Check back here for new episodes dropping every other Thursday. You can follow along on social media at Collected Ministries. 